You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Where the wind comes sweeping down the plain And the waving wheat can sure smell sweet When the wind comes right behind the rain Hi, I'm Andrew Child and welcome to 50 Key Stage Musicals, the podcast A companion piece to the Routledge Press publication 50 Key Stage Musicals Which is available for purchase by going to routledge.com Or clicking the link below in today's description Today's episode focuses on Chapter 9, Oklahoma, and with us today is author of that chapter, Kevin David Thomas. Kevin Hello, David- Andrew. Hello. Welcome. We're so glad to have you with us today. Thank you. Kevin David Thomas is an actor, music director, Broadway coach, and co-host of the acclaimed podcast, Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. He has been on faculty at the Professional Conservatory of Musical Theater at NYFA for 10 years. Kevin performed in the Broadway revivals of A Little Night Music, the cast recording, and Les Miserables. As a music director and musician specializing in new works, he was the assistant to the music director of Broadway's A Tale of Two Cities, the assistant music supervisor for the national tour of Little House on the Prairie, and worked on the world premiere of Marvelous Wonderettes, Dream On. He is a graduate of Baldwin-Wallace University. Welcome, Kevin. Why, thank you, Andrew. Hello, listeners. So we're going to be chatting today a little bit about your chapter on Oklahoma and Oklahoma and its historical significance at large. So based on the title of the book, I would just love to hear sort of your quick pitch. Why is Oklahoma a key musical? Why do we care? Why do we still care about Oklahoma? Yeah, it's so interesting because it's the one it's like that show you always learn in, in a history, you, you know, your history class, whereas like what's the epic shows or well, showboat and Oklahoma, you know, and and it, and it, for me, it's all the obvious reasons. It's the first musical really of its era uh, that integrated all of the storytelling elements showboat. Yes, they had the music and lyrics were had to further the plot and, you know, reflect the character situation. But Oklahoma, literally every single element came together, whether it be the staging, the cast 
casting of the characters were the right types um, and mm. the dance element. So now you couldn't just do a random dance on stage, which is what they would do at the time to show off a featured dancer. The mm. dance literally tells the story. And if you took the dance element out of the piece, you would miss major, major storytelling elements of it. Uh, and one other uh, key thing about this musical is that it was the first time we had a cast recording where it, there were cast recordings before, but this is the first commercial cast recording that was there to preserve uh, the show itself for entertainment reasons, not just promotional. And so do you think that having that cast recording, has that asserted Oklahoma's dominance sort of in our culture? Because it's still a very popular and well-loved score, still a very popular show. Oh, definitely. And it created the foundation that we still have today of, you know, if Oklahoma hadn't been such a massive success in 1943, it ran for like five years, no shows ran that long. And this cast recording, it, it did, it spread the word far and wide. So now you could be living, you know, uh, in the middle of nowhere really. And you could, if you had a record player, you could get into the world of this show, which is unheard of at the time. So if, if it can spread the sort of the, the language to all these people and places, then that will resonate from you years and years and years to come. And we'll talk probably about a lot of the other reasons why this show is, you know, continues to be so popular and be reinvented. But I think it does begin and end a lot of times with the, with the music and lyrics that that's the part, the songs are what people get attracted to with a lot of musicals, you know, it's like, Oh, I love that song. I love that. You know, and it's a, it's a very catchy score. It, I think one of the tricky things with this book and therefore with this podcast is we've got to limit ourselves to 50 and we can only work on <laughs> 50 musicals. So when you mention that, um, I just want to flag that this is one of our few opportunities to really dive into this iconic songwriting team. So oh, yeah. I'd love to sort of hear from you with, you know, your background as a musician, your background as a music director. Um, why of all their works together, why is Oklahoma the key one why is this the one we're talking about today well outside of the fact that it was the, it's the first one that they mm -hmm. did and they you know they hammer we're talking about oscar hammerstein second and richard rogers of course and they both were writing with two different people before they met up to write this so rogers was famously known to be with rogers and hart lorenz hart or larry hart uh and who was unfortunately uh you know an addictive personality and a de slightly depressed and had a hard time putting pen to paper um and then hammerstein had written with Jerome Kern, who that's who they did Showboat. Um, and they were both sort of looking perhaps to not cheat on their partners, but look for something a little new. And uh, they both spied this project. Um, uh, and, you know, long story short, they said, let's just try this out. But the difference this time around was that Richard Rogers, who had use, usually written the music first, uh, mm -hmm. and, and then the lyric would be thrown on top of that. Now he's writing music for a lyric first, which mm. anyone out there might know that, you know, if, if the lyric can definitely inform a writer what kind of mood, what kind of feeling, what kind of, you know, uh, sensibility you're going to evoke into this music. And I think that was a total game changer uh, for the Richard Rogers' talents. And you can t completely see a change in the musical tone and style and, you know, palette based on his older stuff with Rogers and Hart and then Hammerstein. Um, but they had, they had so much to lose. I mean, this was a, this was, no one thought this was going to be a hit. Um, the, the theater guild who produced it, you know, they had, they had done a bunch of shows in the past, a lot of famous plays um, like by, by O'Neill and stuff, but they, um, they were in debt and they, this was, 
had every reason to fail. Most of the shows at this time period usually had a, a bevy of women to open up the show with legs kicking and all. I mean, that was, this was the 40s. That was soldiers on a break from the war were going to be sort of taken away from their problems, escapism. And here you have a show where the, the, the women don't come out for the first 40 minutes. The show starts with a bare stage and a woman churning butter, an old woman churning butter. You know, it was there's it doesn't make any sense. And yet and the troops it, loved it. They loved it. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> And it it was it was the hit because part of the reason was this music they they really infused such life uh, and and um, they gave you something to connect to with the story with all of these storytelling elements coming together as we were mentioning yeah hmm. and there's something there's something so wholesome about Hammerstein's lyrics so those sort of coming first puts in context this whole opening pastoral scene oh yeah it's very poetic i mean the corn is as high as an elephant's eye and this is a cowboy who's just like talking and you can you know the actor can justify why he says that but it's still on paper it's that's a very poetical kind of way to introduce yourself to the audience um but i think it literally gives an audience something to hold on to and something to to associate with and it becomes very very accessible to say nothing of the music i mean that those the music when you play a recording of this show it is everybody knows the songs everybody knows yeah. songs to oklahoma and it's and they're good songs i mean they're solid songs so um i'm curious about do you have a connection with oklahoma specifically like uh, the musical yeah uh yeah. actually uh <laughs> it's funny enough I just realized 20 years ago this year, I got my equity card. So that's how you join the union. The union is called Actors Equity Association. And I got my actor's equity card doing Curly in Oklahoma. I don't know why I was playing Curly at 21, but playing Curly in Oklahoma at Weston Playhouse in Vermont. And uh, and that was 20 years ago this year. And it was that show that that was my sort of introduction professionally uh, to the business. So it, wow. it's, it is, I guess, a deep connection to it. But I will say researching for, to, for my, to write my article, I, you know, I did a lot of research. And like I said, at this, at the top of this episode, you know, everybody knows, you know, the history, you know, the history lesson. Oh yeah. Oklahoma is a big deal, but to really do a deep dive into understanding what a legacy it had on other shows that other, you know, other directors now had to cast uh, parts that were the right type in the right characters mm -hmm. and the right people for the parts. And, you know, choreographers would, take inspiration from Agnes DeMille and like people like Michael Bennett, you know, would do a chorus line. And that's all about dance. Andy Blankenbuehler, you can trace all the way to Hamilton that some of that storytelling is, is I believe here because of the, the legacy that, that Oklahoma began with having this integral, you know, dance portion of the evening. Um, and then, um, uh, uh, you know, other writers of the day. So we were talking about Rogers and Hammerstein and, you know, most of the musicals in the 1940s were kind of frivolous. They were, uh -huh. they were, they were silly. You know, if you were a major star, you had your your hit songs that would travel with you from show to show. Now you had to write for the situation. You couldn't just write. And Irving Berlin famously was like, "I'm I'm tapping out because I'm <laughs> I'm I'm too old for this." He did. He, he did. You know, he did. And get your gun, and he successfully integrated everything. But then when he did Mr. President a couple of years later, the critics just were brutal to him. They were just brutal. They felt like it was just silly and he and he knew it and he and he and he really got out but Cole Porter they all had to kind of change up the way that they were making musicals and and write their Oklahoma you know Cole Porter did Kiss Me Kate 
all the mm-hmm. elements came together, no longer just silly, frivolous fun. So yeah, it's, it really, they really changed everything. And, and it, and really it's more than just saying, oh yeah, they were a big deal. They were a big deal. Those shows uh-huh. a big deal. It really changed all aspects of theater to evolve where it is today. Well, and even when you, if you take just those two examples, uh, Kiss Me Kate and Annie Get Your Gun, there is still sort of a plot piece in there that we're going to perform some songs within the show, within the show, you know, yep. they're still relying on that um, just as Showboat does, Yep. Um, just as later great musicals do. So I'm not knocking these, but, you know, even as we're talking about contemporary things, Oklahoma didn't rely on that. Not one bit, not one bit. And, and the, that this element that we're talking about, this dance element, you know, it, I, I said earlier that if you took it out, you wouldn't understand the story. Well, the big, you know, the famous ending of act one is this thing called, it's a big ballet, right? The dream ballet. And, and, um, and this dream ballet wasn't just dancing. It wasn't just, you know, let's just put on a big spectacle of fun for the audience. It, it, the ballet is called Lori Makes Up Her Mind. And it, it literally is Lori having this nightmare about who she's going to take to the dance. And if she takes Curly to, or the box social, uh, you know, if she takes Curly in her dream, he dies. So she thinks I, I can't go with him. So now the audience goes to intermission with like a secret. They know something that none of the other characters know other than Lori. They get we're, we're like in on the secret. So when we come back for act two, we're like, oh, I know why Lori's going to, you know, we're going to look at Judd now because, you know, it, it, that's she had this dream and we watched it and through dance. <laughs> and it right. really is. It's integral. I mean, there you, there you go. You can't take that. You cannot remove that um, element. So it's pretty cool. So uh, with your experiences with the show and also your familiarity with the show, what do you think, what are the moments, what are the songs, what are the characters, what are audiences still to this day latching on to? What are they resonating with? What is keeping it in our cultural obsession? Yeah, like why do we still come back to it? Um, It's interesting. Well, you've got, they do have like the stock characters, right? You've got your lead couple that they, you know, they sing the not love, love song, you know, people will say we're in love where we can't come out and say it, but we're going to, if they do it right, we're going to feel you guys like love each other. But Mm. it's that sort of like, are they going to end up together? You know, we know they are, but there's that sort of leading character. Then you have like the secondary comedy couple, you know, um, Ado Annie and Will Parker. And and again, you can latch on to their sort of like pu- almost puppy love. And it's a really sweet, innocent kind of love, even though she says, I, she sings, I'm just a girl who can't see no. Um, but we kind of relate to that. So we have two different kinds of people that we can relate to. And I think that's a big part of it. Um, and I think there's also this element of in the traditional way they did it, there's Curly and Judd. Judd's usually the bad guy. Again, in the revival, they changed all of that and they kind of flipped it. But um, but we still have these competing personalities. And I think that a lot of people can relate to that as well. Is like, oh, is there's the bad boy? And then there's like the cocky guy and who's she going to go with? And there, there, you know, there's always going to be that kind of, you see it on The Bachelor, <laughs> you see right. it on TV all the time, you know? And I think that's something that you can relate to as well. Um, and then of course, there's just, it's a happy ending. You know, you see there's another state in our union and it's a very Americana kind of nostalgic feel to it that we we love a good story in the Wild West. Um, and I think there is that sort of, yeah, Americana uh, vibe to it as well. So when you mention uh, a revival, are you talking about the most recent one? The Daniel Fish one. Yeah, there we go. All right, there we go. What what rings true about Oklahoma that is still in existence in this revival, which for listeners who don't know, was a very 
pared down, very radical uh, reimagining oh, yeah. staging of Oklahoma. So to even call it a revival is a little a little bit iffy because it is this total reinvention of oh. Oklahoma. Completely. Uh, to paint a picture for you, listeners, if you didn't see it, when you walked into the Circle in the Square Theater on Broadway, which is, it was almost in the round, it was three quarters, you walk in, and the first thing you see is guns all over on the walls of the theater. Just guns, 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 guns. So that's the first impression you get is this is like, whoa, we've got a lot of guns in here. Then, it, and it's 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 a it's an interactive piece. So the audience is, the lights are up almost the entire show, except for a couple sequences where they go into crazy land with cameras. And there's a the, the, the Judd Curley scene, if you know it, it's all in dark, it's black and white. You only see a close-up of their face projected on the screen. It's, it's wild. Um, but the rest of it, you, you can see the people sitting across uh, the audience from you. It, it's very much like, oh, we are in this town together witnessing this piece. Um, it, they did not change a single lyric or uh, you know book scene. They did reorchestrate it. Um, Daniel Kluger did an amazing job paring it down to almost be like a like a barnstormer, just like a good old fashioned hoedown kind of orchestration. So you could, and the band was on stage, um, like you know we're talking guitars, fiddle playing, uh, big old bass, uh, very very country folksy kind of feel. Um, and yet in that, Daniel Fish made these reevaluated the relationships and, and um, the characterizations. Curly is no longer sort of this, you know, swag, you know, has some swag. This like cool cowboy. He's this sort of, I would almost say very cocky, almost uh, maybe slightly misogynistic, you know, mm. sort of not the typical good guy. He's, he's got a little more darker qualities to him. And then Judd becomes almost a sympathetic uh, outsider, a loner, a person who doesn't belong. Um, and we almost get more sympathetic to Judd and we almost dislike Curly in this, this revival. Um, and, and then I, I don't want to spoil the ending, but they, they really, I got, I saw the first preview and I, I had no idea when they, they, they sing the reprise of Oklahoma and they sing it to the audience. Um, and it was, it was very aggressive and it was very, scary. Uh, it was a very scary moment, especially when the the murder happens, which is also basically in, not to spoiler alert, it was mm -hmm. in complete cold blood. He just like, he just shoots uh, Judd. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was, it, there's blood everywhere. I mean, we're talking, this is like visceral production. Um, and yet at its base, they wanted to get a human reaction. And I, I definitely think they did. I Interestingly enough, I read reviews uh, of it in when it toured in Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. And they said that at, at, during Curtain Call, almost half the audience got up and left because it was, it was too much. It was too wow. intense, too, 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 and perhaps too non-traditional from the way it's supposed to quote, I might, you're, these are my air quotes, supposed to be done. Mm. What I thought was so interesting about that show for me at the time that it opened, I was living in Boston mm. and I, concurrently with that opening off Broadway, the North Shore Music Theater in Massachusetts was mounting a big production in the round that was the pastel colors, period costumes, big dopey grin on Curly's face. I did not see it, but it was sort of this moment where there's a rift in the atmosphere where someone is doing a revival of Oklahoma. That's one thing. And someone else is doing something totally different. So I'm curious, do you think after the world has seen uh, on Broadway, off Broadway, and then touring uh, this, the, Daniel Fish production. Do you think there's a future for the pastel washed period costume, big dopey grin 
Oklahoma. Yeah, I love the big dope big grin. You're so you're so right. Um, yes, actually, I mean, this is my answer is yes. I do believe that, that just as there are people that could not stand that revival, they just hated it. But just like you know, in, in the world of opera, you know, you you can reinvent an opera, change it up, do it a little bit different, and still get different feelings out of it. It's art. But I do think there's always going to be a place for the nostalgic, good old fashioned, traditional version of Oklahoma. And I think that's valid. And I think there should be. I think we do need to see it the way it was intended by the authors, authors originally. But at the same time, I definitely think that we're going to we live in a world where we have both now that we're allowed to that we're allowed to have, you know, maybe someone will do something else with it. Maybe there's there's more left in the old in the old in the old show. And, and there's some other reinvention we can have. I mean, that's, I think, also a testament to why it is a key musical uh, and so brilliant because you cannot change a lyric and not change the book scenes and yet still find other you know sentiment in it and other information mm-hmm. and you can you can challenge an audience in a whole new way i think it's amazing that people were you know walked out were up in arms were oh, yeah. were fired up i mean isn't it i think that's what some art is supposed to do and yet some art is supposed to be just like oklahoma can be just mm-hmm. sit and let me see my nostalgic escapism let me just get lost in the world of glory and curly and the you know midwest back then and this state becoming a state and not worry about guns and all of that and then mm. there's the other side of it too. So I, I don't know. I think there's, I hope we can have both. <laughs> I think that almost posits Oklahoma, like beyond most musicals that we can talk about. You immediately mentioned opera because yeah. that's where sort of these avant-garde auteurs can come in and sort of do what they want or Shakespeare or, you know, Greek drama that there's something yeah. about, well, it's going to keep being done. So I'm not, vilifying anything i'm not desecrating anything um the oregon shakespeare festival a couple years ago did uh gender bent and sort of made the two key characters gay Mm -hmm. um and then the other production that comes to mind for me was years and years ago trinity rep in providence did a production that was all sort of just in front of like house rapping like the tyvek stuff and it was sort of like riffing on this idea that we're seeing sort of a colony in progress and they mm. all performed downstage with this just big eyesore of a wall um which is again it's just there's so much that can be done which i'd also love to talk about something that is very accessible to the readers um it's very easy I don't know if I can say that out loud um, to find our, the recordings of the Trevor Nunn and Susan Stroman revival. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it's on Broadway HD. I think you can watch it with Hugh Jackman. Um, yeah. And that was more, that was a more faithful a retelling of the you know the original it sort of had like the big you know the big vast um, set where you really you see lots of space because that's what you associate with Oklahoma but that Trevor definitely uh, he mined the some of the darkness that that the, and, and the mm. conflict that goes on there especially in Act Two he definitely shined a light uh, on on that uh, and the and sort of the sexual energy too because it's there is definitely you know you definitely can feel some of that is Laurie attracted to Judd is it, you know is Shula mm. Hensley played him in, in that revival and he's like a big strapping burly fella and you know and of course not, <laughs> not that Hugh Jackman isn't but you know you've got two different sort of types there that Laurie could be perhaps attracted to and there's a visceral sense there um and I, I do find I do think it's interesting that that uh, that Trevor Nunn's that production uh, adhered to the original concept but also found some of that darkness as well which probably 
help pave the way to get where we got with the most recent revival. Because mm. there is something, it is darker, but you're right, it is more in line with the original. And I also think it's just a testament to the progression of time that it's sort of, oh, we're going to radically reimagine Oklahoma by putting Lori in overalls. Right. Versus we're going right. to radically reimagine Oklahoma by you're going to come in and see a bunch of guns. <laughs> right. 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 And Curly sings well, What a Beautiful Morning with his guitar and, you know, ser is serenading almost, you mm -hmm. know, or or we're going to do a scene where we turn off the lights all of a sudden and we only see their faces on a camera in the back. I mean, this also reminds me of uh, we were talking about weird, you know, avant garde productions or re new takes. Evil mm -hmm. Van Hova, who, you know, did that West Side Story where they did all the multimedia and, and he awful he often will do just like a view from the bridge where they're like barefoot the whole time. I mean, like he's, <laughs> you know, talk about, you know, reinventing things. Um, but yeah, I, I'm here for it. I'm like, let's. What, why, what else can we find? Let's learn something else. We can still learn it the other way. Let's let's learn something else. So, what musical? Because West Side Story has kind of undergone this treatment, and we've seen Oklahoma sort of undergo this auteur treatment. And then there are all kinds of things all over the internet of you know, oh, watch this clip of this German production of My Fair Lady or something. Right. That it's like crazy stuff we can't even. Like, how do you even come up with that? Um, I love it. It sounds like you're into it. I, I do if it, if it serves, if you're doing it to uh, look for some new, you know, looking at it from a different point of view. I'm not mm. so into it just to, to like do it on for its own sake, you know, or like there was, a, there's like a very, I don't know if we'll keep this, but there's a famous story. And we talked to Martin Charnin about this on my podcast, but there's a famous production of Annie where they, at the end of Annie, um, instead of it just ending happy with daddy Warbucks and this production that shall remain nameless. She, she wakes up back in the orphanage. No. Like it was, it was all a dream. And she's, uh, I think they got a cease and desist allegedly, but, okay. um, but okay. yes, um, but no, I'm not, in it to change up or to radically uh i don't know just do it for its sake i'm into it though if it's like a like oh this is this revival you know where we're really we're honoring the the piece we're mm -hmm. honoring what the authors intended but then we're saying yeah but what if we sort of change these couple things here and there and what can we glean from that and I, i'm here for that and i think we're going to start to see that with the older shows you know we're a relatively new art form right i mean musicals right. if we're talking this is a key musical this is 1943 so mm -hmm. you know 70 80 years we've been around doing musicals and i think you know an opera has been going for oh, hundreds of years so i think it's it's time that we get to reevaluate some of these older shows just like we're doing what we're seeing like with eva van hova um with the plays but i I think mm -hmm. it's time that we start doing this with musicals as well whether or not it's commercial i don't care it could mm. do it at a regional theater do it you know that that's that's where i mean this daniel fish production started out in a, at a at a college so i mean mm. great let's great that's wonderful thank you let's let's keep playing judy was boring hello then judy discovered jumbacasino.com it's my little escape now judy's the life of the party oh baby mama's bringing home the bacon whoa take it easy judy the Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, 
and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Do you have a show that, in your mind, is dying for this treatment? Other than, obviously, Annie, but... You know, it's probably because it's just it's it's going on right now. And I'm I'm a late convert to this show. But The Music Man, I think, is a really interesting piece. It is like Oklahoma because it is this sort of Americana. Now, this is a little bit more Midwestern than out and than a territory state. Mm-hmm. But um, I because I know that this revival is not this revival is pretty well. In some instances it is, but it's pretty faithful to the original idea of what Music Man is uh, casting Mm. aside. But I would like to see a a retake. I would like to see sort of an update on that, a a new take. I don't know what it is, but I would, Mm. I would be, I would totally be here for that. Um, And I'm a late convert. I was, I thought Music Man was all fluff and no stuff. And I was completely, completely wrong. And I did a deep dive into it last year Mm. during the pandemic. And I read the script and watched the movie. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is like, I get why this won the Tony Award over West Side Story. It's just so it's brilliant. It just, it turns the musical on its, on its, on its tail. And I really, I dig it. So I'd like to see someone to kind of play with that a little bit. I know there was a production a couple summers ago out in the Berkshires that did get in trouble um, because they tried to grapple with at the time, there was a lot going on with Wells Fargo and Wells Fargo being boycotted. So they tried to kind of riff on that and use Amazon boxes. (laughs) I know the estate didn't love that. And the other thing that I thought was so interesting um, is that there was a black actress playing Marion. So they chose to omit the song My White Knight, which the argument against doing that was that White Knight doesn't necessarily refer to his race like it's referring to his armor. Um, And essentially they had to uh, put it back into the production. They needed to use it. Um, but I do think it brings up an interesting argument there. Like if what was their reasoning, what was going on in the rehearsal room that they made the choice to omit that song. And at the same time that that was happening, um, there was the production in DC, I think with um, what's his name as Harold Hill. Um, I can't think of it right now. Opposite, oh, I should, I should know. Opposite Jesse Mueller, I think was doing. Oh. no, I forget who. But there, there was a black actor playing Harold Hill, mm-hmm. and it immediately it stirred in my mind. I wonder if they are singing "My White Knight," and they have a black actor playing the man that she spoiler is going to marry. Right, but you have to have that. So I mean, it's an integral part of the story. That that, right. but you know, then I mean, like that's where I'm like, you can't, you can mess with it, but you can't. Yeah, I'm yes, diverse casting. You know, people with disability cast. Oh, let's 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 tr- let's do it at all. But I don't think you can. I don't think you. I think you have to be more creative and and mm-hmm. find a way to keep it and uh, and find your way in. Much like Daniel Fish did with this Oklahoma or Eva Van Hove with uh, West Side Story. Um, although they did sort of, I think they changed where they did Officer Krupke, but um, I was going to say, and he did um, omit "I Feel Pretty." You're right. Which is that's kinda, right. Which is I think crazy. with with sometimes blessing, I want to say because okay. it's never <laughs> it was never one of his favorite lyrics. I know, but 
Yeah, no, it's it's really interesting. It's uh, it's uh, those are, and I think these are really good problems to have because we do need more diversity and we do need more, you know, mm. casting that's like that. And yes, these shows were written by a bunch of, of for the most part, a bunch of white dudes, you know, mm-hmm. in in the forties and fifties and sixties when you know their mindset w- was just was different then and the right. expectations were and uh, not right or wrong, just it was. Um, and so I think that the way we grapple with that is is important, you know, just like mm. with you know Carousel, like carousel has to be more than just a musical where the guy like slaps her at some point and the you know right it's it, you have to deal with that that it that was right. how it was written but then how can you get into that get out of that how can you use that for today's audience and i think that's a challenge for directors but i don't think it's should be avoided mm, no definitely i think no. and these are great conversations to sort of be generating because mm. i up until i'm reading about that production not singing my white knight it never would have crossed my mind that that song could be an issue could be something that you'd want to omit i'd love to know from the standpoint of a music director how would you be approaching oklahoma if it landed in your lap right now and you have to music direct production what's going through your head what's that process look like well, it's interesting. First of all, I, I would want those orchestrations. I just love the folksy kind of that, you know, you're the gone are the days you're going to get a full orchestra, you know, doing the full Robert Russell Bennett orchestrations. I highly doubt I would get that. Um, but it, it's a, you have to toe this line of great singers that can honor these beautiful lush lines that can, you know, a soprano that can sing someone that can belt. I can't say no, but then it has to also be people that can handle this language. You know, that's why in auditions, it's so great to see people sing traditional musical theater, because if you can handle that and you can make that real and you can make me believe your story and sing it, then I know you're going to be able to handle contemporary language because, you know, that's just so much more accessible, you know, but Mm. this language is so, so more lush and the thought has to last longer while you're holding these notes and you have to you have to sustain the ideas longer and no longer can we just stand and sing i mean that's a lot of times if you saw some of these productions there was you know the acting was okay but it wasn't as in-depth as we have today of course that's just the evolution of it but i would need that i would need some some strong strong singers um that that don't make it all about the singing you know that make it really about that and i would want i would boy i would want that I want that country sound. I love that. I want it more string instruments. I want like a guitar and a banjo. And, mm. you know, I, I, I just would, I love that. And I, I, um, yeah, that's, I would want Daniel Kruger, Kluger to uh, come visit. Come. And <laughs> yeah. Amazing. That's a great I mean, question. Yeah. Do you think there is another Rogers and Hammerstein musical that you would advocate is as significant as or on par with or for students of musical theater is there another musical or another few musicals that they should be paying equal attention to yeah it's interesting because they Rogers and Hammerstein never rested on their laurels right mm-hmm. when they they did Oklahoma and then they're like oh let's do a smaller show and then they tried to do a, the, one of the first concept musicals that inspired Sondheim to do company famously this musical Allegro which was not a hit but it was sort of like it was like a musical about the life you know living a full life and in the moments of, of your life um, and then they talk, they go to Siam and they're going to do the, you know, the King and I, and then, or before that doing carousel about this sleepy, you know, town in Maine, 
but I would definitely say Carousel because the mm-hmm. character you have a bad guy. That's the lead, you know. Billy mm-hmm. Bigelow is is not a good guy, and yet he usually in a musical, except for maybe Pal Joey, you don't have a cat as your lead. You just you just don't do that. Right. Um, and so, because how, how how you can can you make him sympathetic by the end, and what can we learn from that? But they did, and they they do, and they they do do that. So I would definitely check that out. Uh, it has a, a stunning, stunning score. That um, is that has to be one of their greatest scores. That oh my god, the waltz, the the carousel waltz is just yep. it. When that starts in the as top of the show, it is just absolutely stunning. Um, yeah. And I've got it. Of course, it's I mean, I feel like I'm so not original with my answer, but South Pacific. I mean, it, it is mm. when I saw that revival at Lincoln Center directed by Bartlett Shear and that they did use the original full orchestration. Uh, and when that, you know, the whole deck moved back and you saw the orchestra, I mean, everyone like bursted into tears because it's the music was a character in itself. But they're here we're dealing with racism and we're dealing with, you know, uh, you know, World War Two. And <laughs> and yet we're still going to entertain the troops with, you know, 101 pounds of fun. She's my honey. Mm. But, but then we're also going to say you've got to be carefully taught the way you think and the way you believe and what your what your opinions are about other people that are different than you. Um, I mean, talk about way ahead of your time. Um, so I think South Pacific has got to be has got to be on the list. Um, and I think that they the revival, the most recent one with Kelly O'Hara and Paolo Jot, it was so good because, again, the it held up. It's it's it you know they didn't change anything they added one little bit at the in, in Act Two but really they it's it was all there to begin with we just have updated it to our sensibilities the way we are today um, mm-hmm. and I think that's again a, a testament to why these shows are so important because they 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 aren't just little museum pieces that are stuck in when they are you know so many shows can't be revived today because let's face it they the books weren't good enough and they're they're gonna mm-hmm. the scores are great but we're not gonna see certain shows. Um, because they just are stuck in the era and the mentality of where when they were written. But these are these Rogers Hammerstein shows really somehow make it and they still can be revived today. And that's that's pretty incredible. Do you think it will continue to be important for students of musical theater to know these shows that you're mentioning? I mean, you're speaking to someone who's obsessed with the history of musical theater. So, I mean, my answer is always going to be, of course, yes. But I think it's important to give the why and the wherefore. And like, Mm -hmm. you know, what is the reasoning behind why these shows are so good and why are they important? And I think it's important for students to understand what, you know, what they can learn from them and how um, they are. They are they're not these dusty old things from a bygone era that they are just as important now that the issues that the people were going through in these shows back then are can be translated to today and we can still learn from them um yeah no definitely i think we we where would we be without that stuff uh and i think we have to keep exploring it for sure mm. so i'd love to sort of loop back around to one of the first things that you talked about was the significance of oklahoma having a cast album mm. and um, it immediately called to mind a lot of questions for me, but I was like, no, we need to talk about Oklahoma today and then we can talk about cast albums. But you've worked on multiple cast albums. So I'd love to know, is this mentality of preservation, which I think we can see was so pertinent for Rogers and Hammerstein that they had a hand in uh, publishing their own music. They had a hand in producing movies based on their shows to varying success um 
will be generous there. Yeah, uh, some yeah, of those movies yeah. hold up okay. Yeah. Um, some of them not as much. But is there still is that why we're still making cast albums? Are we still thinking about preserving and carrying on something that is otherwise so uh just in the moment and then it's gone? Yeah. Oh, Definitely. Now, uh, spoiler alert, nerd alert, everyone. I am a cast album collector. I have been collecting my whole life. I love cast albums. Um, And I would still be that way even if I didn't do this for a living. Um, (laughs) But yeah, no, I I do. I think that it is a way to hold on to something. And yet cast albums are not not always made to reflect what was done in the theater. It's a lot of good, you know, directors of the, artistic directors of these cast albums. They're trying to tell, it's a version of what happened in the theater, but really give Mm. you something, uh, the essence of what was going on, you know, at this one time, but it's going to live forever. Obviously these cast albums live forever and it's a way of holding on to like you said something that just like like flies away like like a like a towel in the wind and it's gone and and we it's a way for us to hold on and feel like maybe that we were there we can get the essence of it i hope it never goes away um i think the problem is that they just cost so much money um but Mm. with the advent of technology and the ways of of doing things i think people are finding ways to have these recordings um as long as they they get done somewhere and somehow maybe we're not gonna have you know i bought my first album in the longest time because I just don't, I haven't been buying albums as much, but I'm a huge fan of Carolina Change. And so I thought I am going to buy that cast album. And it was the first time I got the excitement of <laughs> taking off the shrink wrap and all of that, like used to have, <laughs> like I said, nerd alert. Um, and there is something very, uh, I guess, sacred about it, that it's, it is something that we get to have forever. And now with digital music, great, sure. I, I'll collect it that way as well. Um mm-hmm. But yeah, no, it's, I don't think it's ever going to go anywhere because I think that is um, the shows may come and go, uh, productions may come and go, but the music and lyrics are the things that we we hold on to. We love, we love and cherish. And um, yeah, so I, I, no, I, I think that I remember there was like a time like in the 90s and in, in the aughts where a lot of record albums couldn't they couldn't find a reason to, to make a profit. They couldn't find a way to make it possible. And now I think with digital music and, and, and um, we found ways of, of getting around that a little bit, uh, I hope. Um, but yeah, so uh, yeah, most of the time we do get, we get most, most things get recorded in one way or the other. There are shows though, that I feel like we all have to sort of sit with the loss of that never, that cast never got together to record, whether it's because, it just wasn't happening. Or I often think about there are some replacement casts for Broadway shows that I would right. like, just like, listen, I don't know how many people will, but I'll put some money down if you get them in the studio and I can have this to listen to. Do you have shows like that that you wish had been recorded, that you wish were preserved in this way? Well, one came to mind instantly um and that was a production very recent um of this amazing musical that was sort of a revival but sort of a history lesson it was shuffle along this is like the cast of this was unbelievable audrey mcdonald i mean like unbelievable casting and what they 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 cannot release this recording i i believe they recorded some of it but they you're not what how could this this is a history this is like one of the first musicals for black people by black people mm-hmm. in, in the in the 30s and we really we, we can't get a recording of that so that one that one really burns me um 
And then I, I also thought instantly of replacement cast. And there's a famous production. Uh, remember, you remember Kiss the Spider Woman, Candor and Ebb? Yeah. There was the original production with Cheetah Rivera, but then Vanessa Williams came in and they re recorded oh. all of the tracks with her in it. It's still like the same. They just redid the voice and they, you know, <laughs> they mixed that in there. I, I don't know. That cracks me up. But we don't get that. No, we don't. We don't get that very often. And there's, um, I can't think of, I'm trying to think of someone that I was like, oh, I wish I had seen. You know this replacement. I mean, I'd probably say something cheesy like Carolee Carmelo and Mamma Mia, but I... okay. okay, that's not <laughs> I actually, cheesy. I actually went to see Mamma Mia to see Carolee sing it because I'm such a Carolee, I'm a crazy Carolee fan. I think that's um, very valid. I think yeah. there's nothing wrong with that. I'm also a big fan of hers. <laughs> um, do you think when we're seeing these uh productions sort of archived or filmed and put on Netflix or put on Disney Plus or whatever streaming service they're put on, is that an extension of the same mentality, this need to preserve something? And mm. do you think that that's something we'll see continue? Yes, I do. I definitely think we'll see some of that continue. Um, I, 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 it's interesting because we're dealing with now, you know, higher ups right like it's not just like mm -hmm. theater producers we're dealing with netflix or, or companies that are trying to make money as well and mm -hmm. i'm not i'm thinking more of like actual stage productions that are filmed not like taking the prom and then ryan right. murphy going to make a m movie of that's uh, right. that's a whole completely different set of circumstances but i think of like diana the musical let's just put it out there uh, let's right? talk about it yeah let's so the yeah in the room right i totally I, i've got to say i we all know if you've listened to Diana, then you know, and I don't need to say anything if you haven't, please go watch it on Netflix. But it's, yeah. it is what it is. And I find it very entertaining. I find it very entertaining. Oh, I enjoyed did, every moment. It didn't stop me from going to the theater. I definitely saw it. Like actually the day they announced closing to the cast, that was the night I saw it. It was electric. Um, I think I might want to watch it again on Netflix. I, I mean, I just, you know, and yeah, it's got its little issues, but I'm here for it and I enjoy it. I am thankful that it was preserved. I'm thankful that everyone's going to get to see Aaron Davey and Gianna DeWall's performances because they, they are they are acting the you know what out of it. It is unbelievable. Um, and same thing with you know it will even like uh, well obviously Hamilton. I mean we we now people that can't go to afford to see something on Broadway or see the national tour they mm -hmm. can see what all the fuss is about. They can see why is this such a magical thing. And I, it's fun to see musical theater, the art form, at least in my lifetime. When I was younger, it felt like, oh, <laughs> you like musicals. And now it feels like musicals are at the cool table again. And we're, you know, we're, we're seeing a, a resurgence and we're seeing a, how, you know, look at the, the, the Academy, I mean, the Golden Globes. Look at, I mean, it's mm -hmm. Lin-Manuel is permeating everywhere. People are, I mean, the West Side Story is directed by Steven Spielberg. I read the first, you know, 10 pages of the script and I was riveted by it. Mm -hmm. And it's still the same, you know, West Side Story we all know love it's just got a little more fire in it but oh my goodness it, it works and it's cool to see um it being taken seriously you know and really amazing do you think having the shows being more accessible because i mean when you talk when you talk about hamilton and not being able to afford to see it on the tour that's most people those yeah. tour tickets oh, yeah. are hundreds of dollars those are yeah. hundreds of dollars um do you think that that has to do with it becoming more popular, it, it permeating, to use your word, other parts of the culture? 
Yes. And there's just greed. I mean, it's producers making money. Let's just, let's call it what it, I mean, like mm-hmm. that, you talk about, you know, the music man on Broadway right now that, that as we record this, you've got Sutton Foster and Hugh Jackman, those tickets like are yeah. stupidly expensive. I mean, it is a rich people's thing. If it's a, if it's a hit, if it's a hit show. Mm-hmm. So I believe that it should be accessible. I believe that all, you know, not just the first, you know, row for $10, but like, mm-hmm. you know, theater is meant for, for people. And so if it means that we record more and we, we throw it on a platform. Sure. I say, yes. I say, let everybody see it because it shouldn't just be for like, you know, I mean, I, one of the first shows I ever saw with my family was ragtime and I'm in the nineties. I remember my mom and dad were like, well, you know, this better be good because we're spending like at the time it was like for a family of four, it was like over $200. And that right. was a lot of money. That was yep. like a lot of money. Um, And now please, it's like, that'd be it's... over $400, $500 for a yeah. family of four. Um, it, if it's a hit show, forget about it. So uh, yeah, no, I, I believe the theater has got to be accessible and it's got to be, you know, any way possible. So I'm, I'm really happy to see this. And I say this new because it was as early as 16 years ago, Ago when if you remember legally blonde was filmed for mtv mm-hmm. and that was a really big deal they really believed and we i interviewed the 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 producer of it um how Luftig, uh they really thought that was gonna t- they were gonna take a hit that it was gonna ruin their wow. chances of having people come see it because the people would just stay home because why should i go see it live i can just watch it on mtv this one night it wasn't even streamed it was just this one night you could watch right. it well right. no it com- did the complete opposite it now and now it's like who can- yeah go for it bring it bernadette peters i'm sorry i i i'm, I'm so sorry you're the sound got all wonky for a second but i missed that last sentence i'm so sorry let me no worries let me double check my sound all of a sudden i just heard you say mm-hmm, 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 over and over again but now it could be me or it could not be but i'm we're good now can you hear me now okay yeah yeah you're good so sorry so when we talk about uh the filmed version of into the woods with bernadette peters um going way back to that that's probably still one of these foundational things that we see that we seek out and that probably a lot of us can flag as sparking something and some sort of love of musical theater. Oh yes. I think of that one. I think of the Sweeney Todd with Angela, like these, these, I feel like any theater kid is like, Oh yeah, I remember, I remember where I was when I first watched them. I don't think I got a lot of it, but I definitely was, I was like, this is, this is amazing. What, this is what theater can be. Oh, of, of course. Uh, and, and aren't we so grateful for those, even the, the Sunny in the park with George as well. I mean, Oh, mm-hmm. well, like, thank goodness these were recorded when they were not doing that, they were not right. recording these shows then. Um, oh, I think, that they're seminal i think they're it is they're like you said they're iconic i mean they are they are and so informative and look what a generation that informed and it and con, and continues to inform and i just wonder you know all of these pieces now all of these you know shows are even going to like you know the tiktok musicals and mm. you know all of the way everything's evolving what's going to be the next generation what's going to happen next i i think it's it's really exciting to think what we is in the future you know do you have any sort of inklings any sort of little things you've flagged as people to watch or ideas to watch that are sort of this next level um because i mean 
I think a book that I'd highly recommend to anyone listening who wants to know more about Oklahoma, wants to know more about Rodgers and Hammerstein. Have you read Something Wonderful, Todd S. Purdom's book? It's on my list, actually. I highly recommend it. I read it in like one sitting on a plane, couldn't put it down. Um, But it really does give you this appreciation for these aren't just two artistic geniuses. They are everything you're hitting on in this interview is sort of driven home by this book. It's like they're thinking they're saying, how do we get our music on TV with their Cinderella? How do we make movies? How do we they're thinking ahead, developing new technology. So when you say something like the TikTok musical, I sort of do wonder because of that book, because of the things we talked about in this interview, I think Rodgers and Hammerstein would have been all over that. I think they would have loved that. Absolutely. And it's so, I'm so glad you said this because it's so easy to look back, especially if, you know, I'm young, if, if I was young and I was like, oh, it's all about TikTok. It's all about, I want to do what's new. <laughs> if you, if you look back at Rodgers and Hammerstein, they were the Lin-Manuel of the day. They were mm-hmm. the hottest of the hot team. They were, they were the edgy, they were forefront. So it's almost like a disservice if we look back and think, oh, those, those old white men are doing their thing. They weren't then they were to us now, but they Mm -hmm. really were at the forefront in create. You can trace, even if we're going to talk about Lin-Manuel, we can trace Lin-Manuel to them. This is a handed down art form. You know, Mm -hmm. uh, Oscar Hammerstein handed it down literally to Stephen Sondheim. Stephen Sondheim, as we've seen from that letters Instagram, has Mm -hmm. had his hand in so many people's artistic careers, Lin-Manuel included. Mm -hmm. And, 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 And if there weren't, if Oscar Hammerstein did not exist and, you know, put you know, towed the line and tried to push this art form forward, we would never, ever have where we have it today. It would never, it would definitely not exist the way that we see it. I believe I'm, I, it, it is, it is imperative that we understand that these guys were at the forefront of, of where the art form has evolved to today. Um, and I think that it's, it's really incredible, but it's such a good point you make. Mm. Well, thank you so much, Kevin, for being with us today. And thank you listeners for joining us today. Please make sure to purchase a copy of 50 Key Stage Musicals by visiting routledge.com or by clicking in today's show description. If you want to learn more about Oklahoma, please also review the links in the below description. I'm Andrew Child, and thank you for listening to 50 Key Stage Musicals, the podcast. Oklahoma, where the wind comes sweeping down the plain. And the waving wheat can sure smell sweet when the wind comes right behind. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. 
Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.